Being a Better Man, Episode 140. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. Back in the early 90s, I had been a long-haul trucker for a few months. I started out driving for a company and was issued a brand new Peterbilt truck with all the bells and whistles. My regular run was from Washington State down I-5 all the way to Southern California and then back again. It was a pretty good run. I got to know all the stops and where all the best burgers were, and I was feeling pretty comfortable with what I was doing. A few months into it, I got an opportunity to buy my own truck from my uncle, who was also a truck driver. I jumped at the chance because then I would essentially be my own man, running my own business and I would be more in charge of my life. The thing was, the truck I was buying was not brand new. In fact, it had several hundred thousand miles on it. It was a white Freightliner cabover truck. A big blue flat-nosed truck with zero bells and whistles. Beyond a heater and a radio that worked, it had nothing. No air conditioning, a lumpy mattress, and no Jacob's brake. It was a tool I would sleep in, nothing more. But it was mine, and I felt like it was a start. Nowadays, most all trucks come equipped with a Jacob's brake, commonly known as a Jake brake, but not back then. The Jake brake is a pretty handy thing, without getting too technical. It is a method of braking using only the engine itself. What it does is use the compression of one engine cylinder against the upstroke of another, forcing the engine to run slower. It's a compression brake. You've probably heard them on the road. Sometimes they're really loud. They sound like... Kind of like that. Coming into cities, you'll see signs that say use of compression brakes prohibited because they can rattle windows on houses and stuff. The Jake brake would be used mostly when you're traveling down a mountain. When a semi-truck's brakes get too hot from use, they will stop working altogether, and many truckers have died losing their brakes going down a mountain. Maybe you've seen a big truck coming down a mountain with smoke coming off all their wheels. That means their brakes are too hot. The Jake brake allows you to go down slower without relying on your foot brake, so the chance of your brakes getting hot and failing are much lower. On the northern border of Oregon and California, there is a mountain pass you have to go over, the Siskiyou Pass. As far as mountain passes go, it isn't the most treacherous, but it does present its own challenges. In the new truck I started out driving, the one with the Jake brake, I could go over that pass headed south in 7th gear. I'd put on my Jake brake and coast down, no problem, fully loaded. On the very first run in the old truck I bought from my uncle, I had forgotten 
that I didn't have a jake brake. When I got to the top of the hill, I started grabbing gears and got up into 7th, just like I normally did, and then I started going down. Pretty quickly, I realized my mistake, because my truck was picking up speed, and there was no jake brake to slow me down. I needed to downshift. I needed to get in a lower gear and quick. The problem was, I had already built up a lot of momentum. I was able to slow down some with the foot brake, but I was afraid of trying to downshift, because once I put the transmission in neutral, I would be at great risk. If I was unable to slow down my road speed enough to grab a lower gear, then I would be flying down the mountain in neutral without anything to slow me down. I would be freewheeling a runaway truck. They would have to pick me up with a stick and a spoon. So I decided I would have to stay in the gear I was in and hope for the best. The southbound side of the Siskiyous isn't as bad as the northbound side. There's one steep stretch that goes for a couple miles at a 6% grade, and there are a few curves. I felt like I had a 50-50 chance of making it down the hill without wrecking. I was trying to only use my foot brake when the engine's RPMs became critically high. I was trying to save my brakes as much as possible because I knew I would need them more a little later on. Being in seventh gear, though, I was just going way too fast most of the time. My brakes started smoking pretty quickly. I could smell that very unique smell that only burning brake pads make. I had to really stomp on them hard to get it through a couple curves, and I wasn't even at the steep part yet. My heart was pounding. I was sweating bullets. I was probably holding my breath as well. With every moment that passed, I became a little more certain that I might not make it out of this in one piece. When I hit that steep part, I had no choice but to get on my brakes really hard. By this time, I was leaving a black contrail of brake smoke behind me as I wound down the mountain. My brakes started to fail. I knew this because it required more and more pressure for them to work. Before long, I had both feet on the brake pedal and my butt was up off the seat. I was literally standing on the brake with all 260 pounds trying to apply as much pressure as I could. I had one more big curve to go through, and if I wasn't going slow enough, instead of the truck just leaning like it had done on the previous curves, I would plunge right over the edge into the abyss. As I hit that last curve, I really thought I was going to die. My butt was still off the seat, and my heart was about to explode. I took the inside lane so that I would have some room to maneuver, and it turned out I needed all of it. I felt the whole truck start to lean like it was going to tip over, and then I would give it just enough road to correct it, then again and again, until I was almost on the far shoulder, out of room. Somehow, through some miracle, it had been just enough. If the curve had gone on much longer, I would not have made it. The road straightened out, and the grade became less steep. I was able to lower myself back into the seat and eventually take my foot off the brake altogether. Not that it mattered. They had failed completely at this point. Now I was in gentle curves and rolling hills that didn't require any braking. There was an agricultural checkpoint where I would have to stop up ahead in a few miles. 
I was hoping the brakes would cool enough so I would be able to stop. Using downshifting as much as possible, I was able to come to a stop at the checkpoint. As I stopped, I looked in my mirrors and saw actual flames coming off my trailer brakes. The tires were not on fire yet, thankfully, but the heat had ignited all the other grease and oil around the wheels. I told the checkpoint attendant I wasn't transporting any produce, and then I calmly got out of the truck, got my fire extinguisher from under the seat, and walked around my truck putting out fires as though it was something I did every day. The attendant just watched me with a kind of a strange look on his face, not saying anything. Then I got back in my truck, waved goodbye to the attendant, and I was on my way. The next few miles were surreal. I had come very close to having a major wreck. I thought my death was imminent, and now I was just driving along as though nothing had happened. But something seemed out of place, wrong, like I had missed something. And then it came. Back up on the mountain, I didn't have time to really feel anything. I didn't have time to be afraid. I only had time to react in the moment and focus every shred of myself into the task at hand, which was staying alive. Now it was as if those feelings I hadn't had time to feel up on the mountain were catching up with me. They came up through the back of the truck and swept into the cab with a tremendous force. They would not be denied. Suddenly I was shaking involuntarily, trembling from the latent emotions of almost dying. I was shaking so bad that I had to pull the truck off the road and just sit there. So I sat there for a while and experienced all the thoughts and feelings you might expect someone to feel and think after they had cheated death. I thought of my kids mostly, who were still small at the time. I thought about all the things I had meant to say and never said. About all the things I had meant to do and never did. After I finished dealing with all these things, I got back on the road. And that's the end of the story. This experience changed me. I've had several other close calls in life, many of which I will tell in other stories, and they all changed me, each in their own way. There are certain things a person can only learn about themselves when they are faced with their own mortality. I believe all these things ultimately made me a better man. But while I'm thankful for the positive changes, I would not want to repeat any of them. I'm not suggesting anyone goes out and tempts death in order to find enlightenment. I am, however, suggesting that we make time occasionally to consider our mortality in very real present terms. We will all die one day. My advice is not to wait until you're on the brink of death to think of all the things unsaid or undid. Make time to think of them regularly now while they can still have an impact on the life you're living. A lot of people manage to cheat death from time to time, but in the end, death will always win. So make the most of your time right now, and in doing so, be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.